Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining us for another episode today. Today we're doing things a little bit different than usual. I have two friends with me and this is actually gonna be a video podcast. So be sure to join us over on YouTube. So, you know, you can see our faces, our expressions, and we're going to be sharing some different on-screen things. So uh, be sure to head over if you can. And, you know, as we usually talk about faith and mental health and culture, today we're going to be really highlighting more of the cultural side of things, specifically how we cope through disappointments in church, especially when it comes to things like spiritual and sexual abuse that come up, especially in mainstream media, um, you know, issues of lack of accountability that happens when these things take place, how it's perpetuated, how we can do better as a church, and why we still have faith and what helps us heal forward. So I'm talking about all of that today with my friends, Anthony and Christina, who I will let introduce themselves, but I really wanted to invite other perspectives and thoughts in on this conversation since it is so complex. So, hey guys, why don't you introduce yourselves and uh, and let's dive in. We can start with, we can start Anthony. with Chris, oh, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> She just uh, yeah, yeah. My name's Anthony. Um, I'm a pastor of a uh, online church community called Dot Church, and uh, yeah, I've been doing that. We started in the middle of the pandemic, and tried to create a place where people could have community even when all the physical church buildings had their doors shut. Yeah. And so we try to tackle you know hard topics, kind of like the one that we're talking about today. And I actually got to know both. Brittany and Christina from Dot Church. I invited Christina on, and surprisingly, she was like, "Sure, I will." Even though we had, you know, <laughs> virtually awesome. no following or anything, we're we're a tight knit little community at this point. And then she was like, "You got to have on my friend Brittany." And so then Brittany came on the following week. We talked about Christianity and mental health, why the church is so bad at it, and obviously, <laughs> as followers, Brittany, you all know, she's you know speaks into this really well. And Christina has her you know other real job too outside of the comedy so it was yeah it was great and uh here we are now yeah oh, I, love so cool. what it, I love yeah i love what you're doing anthony um just especially tackling real issues because i was just talking to a friend about how in this day and age like the church really is gonna have to deal with these face on especially with this generation and information age where people are wanting to um talk about the harder issues so i appreciate what you're doing and i'm so glad that you're here thanks for having me and Christina is my best friend, and she's actually been on before. Uh, we actually did an episode with our other friend, Rachel, um, when you're obsessed with what people think about you and how to deal with social anxiety. And I was telling you, Christina, that was actually like our number one listen to podcast. That's so crazy. That was like the first interview I've ever did. And like, like you know, we started up and the quality wasn't that great, but it goes to show you that- <laughs> Yeah, um, content content and that everybody is thinking about what other people think about them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. I run the DTR blog, which is a blog, but people know me from Instagram where um, I started off with memes and then I kind of got a little more assertive, you could say. <laughs> and uh, so I write comedy um, as well as pointed posts about uh, modern Christian culture, um, dating, relationships, all, 
you know, the fun stuff. And then I am in school and a recovery treatment counselor for women um, diagnosed with dual diagnosis. Uh, Yeah. I love that. I just, I'm realizing actually how like perfect it is having all of us here to talk about this Mm because we have someone who is a pastor who Mm -hmm. is trying to help uh, just lead the, you know, this generation and the next generation in faith during times that require answering hard questions. And then you as well, Christina, just addressing these cultural topics in a fun way, in a feisty way, but, (laughs) um, but really tackling them head on as well. And then, you know, as well as me loving to talk about the mental health aspect of things. So I think we We've like covered all of our bases here. So like pat on the back to us. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I love Doc Church. Just want to plug them. It's they're awesome. Needs Everyone needs Oh, thanks, to... Christina. <laughs> really? I remember. And Brittany, I told Brittany, I was like, when you come on, you're going to be blown away. I just know and you. I was. And she's like, okay, yeah, cool. Like busy. And then she, <laughs> literally she was like, oh my gosh. This like so wow. <laughs> And now we've oh, you guys are too like, kind. We've been like a mini crew ever since. <laughs> so, okay. So I really want to dive into this because there's so much to talk about. Um, you know, within over the past year, there has been so much going on with the church, you know, kind of on all sides of the spectrum and with the evangelical church. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, 2020 and it really being a year of 2020 vision like looking back and beginning to see things more closely more clearly looking at the other layers and dynamics that are happening that are intersecting between church and culture and so this year this past year with you know covid and all these racially charged um issues that are coming up you know it, it one let's just be honest it it brought up a lot of divisions within the church a lot of I should say maybe variety of perspectives that even though you know we're all Christians or believers or churchgoers that doesn't mean that we all necessarily see things the same way and um, certainly a lot of aspects of our backgrounds and lives also have to do with how we are interpreting things but let's talk about it like let's talk about coping with disappointments in the church, because I'm sure those who are listening have been having a lot of these feelings as well. And I just want to hold space for that in a real and an honest way and let people know that if they are feeling, they've been feeling extremely conflicted um, and a lot of dissonance about everything that they've been feeling this past year, that they're not alone. Um, So what are you guys' thoughts on, you know, this past year and how are you dealing with maybe some of those disappointments that you've been seeing with the issues that are being raised? Um, well, I think that the, the election was actually in this weird way, um, this huge awakening that came forth that maybe would not have come forth had it not been as uh, charged as it was. Um, And because of that, you started, like, I started to see like pastors, just their undying loyalty to uh, President Trump, for instance, and, and, you know, regardless of what um, your political beliefs are, I just was like, why is there this, this loyalty and this, like, inability to acknowledge some of the things he said as impacting, like, the church culture and um, 
you know, is, is where's character in all of this? How does that play into this? And with that being said, I, I started to question more and see things a little bit differently. And the more that I did that, I noticed other people were, and that there was this fear of speaking out. And then the more that I did speak out, or I, I said something, um, I felt like there was a ton of private messages that were like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I, I just don't feel like I can be honest. I don't feel like I can say what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with uh, BLM and and all of um, you know the George Floyd stuff, I think that also was the reactions and the responses was really important to witness. And, and people were like, oh, we're not gonna let this fly anymore that we're not gonna actually talk about what's going on. So I think we just saw all that unfold. Yeah, it was interesting, right? To see like all these different perspectives on the same thing. Like we were all watching and seeing the same things. Mm-hmm. And yet, even among the church spectrum, there were so many different perspectives that really came out and really came to head for sure. Um, and that was interesting for all of us to kind of process through. Um, what about you, Anthony? Like how how do you feel about, you know, coping with these like dis- maybe disappointments of what we expected from the church and what we're seeing and what we're hoping for? Like, what has all of this meant for you? Yeah, a, a big chunk of the people that are a part of our church community are people who are deconstructing, people who mm-hmm. are disillusioned with the church and think, how can I be a Christian given X, Y, and Z? And right. deconstruction is not a new thing. People have been deconstructing for a while, but for a, many years, you could look at the people who were leaving and saying, well, they probably just didn't have enough faith or maybe they were too mm-hmm. secular or whatever the different arguments that people use to explain why they were leaving the church. But yeah. then after each scandal, each public pastor who had a really big platform and just watching their lives implode and yeah. then, you know, whether it be through sexual sin, financial sins, mm-hmm. uh, covering it up, all these patterns of abuse that we see basically across the board, People now who are deconstructing, I mean, anyone who would say, well, they're just leaving because they don't have enough faith has to reckon with, well, maybe there's actually something wrong with Christianity in America. Because the narrative that I grew up hearing was, uh, you know, the West is becoming more secularized and so Christianity's losing. And now you look back on it and you're like, actually, I don't know if it's attacks from the outside that are making Christianity lose right. or if it's mishandling and sin within the church that was, you know, undealt with for so many decades, finally coming to a head, whether it's, you know, like all those different things, even the racism that we saw that came on display in so many pastors, you're like, I can't even believe that this is, this is the hill you're going to die on, given all the things that are happening. Oh my gosh. Hill you'll be silent on. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the small issues, like right now, the potato, Mr. Potato, people are, are, enraged and speaking up but yet now the robbie for instance scandal like that is something people will not will not make a statement on or or and you're like but why right and i definitely want to transition into talking about like you know these things of sexual abuse and spiritual abuse that have come to head in the past year and these you know hills that you said that people are choosing to die on which end up being kind of more 
hurtful than helpful sometimes. Um, and I did want to pull out, Anthony, how much I appreciate that you are creating a space yeah. um, within your church for people who are feeling lost and confused and torn and are just like, you know, I, I are wanting to kind of leave, you know, for X, Y, and Z reasons, um, you know. And so, yeah, we're going to come back around to why we have decided to continue to have faith, you know, because uh, the church is not all bad. Uh, we don't want to just talk about what's wrong. We There are a lot of things that are still right, but we do need to talk about the things that are wrong, I think, and why they're happening. So learning about the sexual abuse scandal of Ravi, this is like going to be the, I don't know, juiciest podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't think I want to go into like super, super detailed. Uh, that might be a little bit triggering, but um, what did you guys get from his, from, you know, everything that took place, the story? I think that we have something, I think we can pull up um, the story, but I think Anthony has that. Um, just let's kind of dive into that together. And how did this happen? How did it perpetuate? And it's not just Ravi, right? We know that there are, you know, others who have come up in the church who have been given position and leadership in spite of these serious character flaws and um mm -hmm. yeah yeah um i'll read a tweet by diane langbird that i think i was thinking about a lot Brittany knows that i yeah have been a fangirling a bit but um <laughs> she said when spiritual leaders silence victims of abuse, the victims assume that God is also silent. Many mm -hmm. people have asked me through the years whether they can find help for restoring their sense of safety in the house of God. That such a question must be asked is frankly damnable. And she goes on, but um, I think one of the huge problems we're seeing is that many, many people in leadership as well as not in leadership, but um, across the board in different levels of leadership know about cases of abuse or know about harm um, being like happening. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, they don't say anything and enable the uh, leader or the group to continue uh, behaving in a way that is causing immense harm to people. And with Robbie, uh, the SBC, um, or actually, uh, our RZIM, yeah, they came out and they said before, oh, they didn't find the validity of the allegations, um, which had been coming out for years. And then when an internal investigation, uh, was done, they later came out and said that they did. So which one oh. is it? Uh, and, and now it just is spiraling because more and more is coming out. You're just like, someone had to know. Yeah. How like, many people, this had been going how many people knew? So long and. And so years. intense. It's not like one, there are, there's a lot going on there. So yeah. it's, it's, and he's, he was the most praised apologist, like in our oh, yeah. culture. So now how, why are people not saying anything directly who like praised him and for instance yesterday putting the red x on their hand and posting that for the end of movement saw that a lot for human trafficking and i'm like well yeah. what how 
church abuse and what what was going on with Robbie was was what leads to human trafficking you know so what is the dissonance in that like how how do you process that yeah so for those who are listening who are kind of like on the tail end of hearing this story and don't fully know like what happened i know anthony has like he has something pulled up would you mind kind of recapping for us uh what took place um and i i would love you know as a pastor anthony if you could share like your feelings and your thoughts um especially as i mean it's like these are these are church leaders they're supposed to be the last ones to be yeah. um to be engaged in these types of things. And we were talking before how someone was like, well, it could have been any one of us. And it's like, no, it could not have been any one of us. Such a flag of a response. Getting, you know, growing in the church or growing to some type of spotlight does not automatically turn you into a predator. Let's just be clear. Yeah, so the uh, Christianity Today had a really big in-depth thing about Ravi kind of, like exposing it. There were some allegations that came out. Um, I think they were initially dismissed. And then Ravi, when he he recently passed away, mm-hmm. and I, I wonder, I have to wonder, is the reason that everything got brought to light because kind of his shadow of power had lifted? And yeah. so it was like, okay, now we can actually deal with this. And I don't know if that's true or not. So that's just speculation of my own. But, but it makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so he, he, from what I understand, the funny thing about when people say it could have been any one of us, part of the whole abuse scandal was he launched a series of massage parlors, like a whole chain of them down south. And so if you say it could have been any of us, it's like, we don't all have that kind of money to launch a chain for one right and and i think there was a ton of layers of second phone line that was on a second network that you know his the whole rzim ministry couldn't access and he had hotels and and i think he owned like a second home for some of the masseuses to stay in and he would basically proposition these women and solicit all sorts of pictures from them for years and years and years and years and this is not the first time that we're seeing someone big like this fall which is really disappointing, obviously, that he's one in a series of people who have done this. But I think, Brittany, to your point, it is interesting that something about the culture in this evangelical world is producing this. It seems like it's more than just, oh, we have a couple of bad apples. And we and I think we saw this with, with the police force, that if there's you know racist things happening across the board it's more than just well we have some police officers who happen to be racist is there something in the system that's maybe producing these outcomes and so we have to look or at allowing. it that way so or yeah. allowing yeah Enabling. so for for me i think this should cause people to look back and say what are the patterns in the churches that are producing this type of behavior and i think there's tons of them that we could talk about yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking to your point earlier about like it's for all this time, it was like, okay, it's going to be something from the outside that is causing these issues from the church when really it's like you're realizing it's something from the inside. And I think that's what we're really getting to today. Um, You know, it's so funny. I was having this conversation with my mom about, you know, the book of Revelations and the great falling away and, you know, how the church, many from the church were going to fall away because they were going to be led by the tickling of ears and whatever like persecutions or the draws and lures of the world and i told her i was like i don't think that that's it like i i think it's because of things like this like i think that we are 
really just bringing down our own, you know, and the falling away is happening because of what we're doing internally, not us. <laughs> But yeah. like, you know, but what's happening internally with these churches, because yeah, Ravi is a spearheaded big figure, but a lot of people will tell you they've seen things like this on smaller scales, you know, in smaller yeah. churches, his story just has a big headline because he was a bigger person. And I'm not, I'm not saying specifically just sexual abuse, but any form of spiritual abuse, control and all of that. And so, you know, I really want to talk about what is it like what is it that allows these types of things to flourish to succeed to be enabled um you know and why are we having issues with detecting narcissism and this lack of why is there a lack of accountability when these things are taking place um i just kind of want to lay out on the table like how this grows how it's perpetuated how it's rewarded let's be honest because um if there continues to be a reward, it's like, why, why, why stop? Why, why stop and look at yourself? Why step down? I think there's a confusion with, uh, there's been like rhetoric of spreading the gospel and that being the number one, um, you know, most important thing. And, and so growing a ministry and growing a church to be huge was seen as like this, um, applaudable thing because you're now reaching more people and then with social media and then with um, merch and then with music and, and um, you know, Hillsong wasn't always super popular. I remember when I, I saw them on the cover of Vogue and I was like, wow, never in a million years did I think that I would see a Christian band on the cover of a secular magazine and things just like I, in my opinion, spiraled to the point where there was just confusion and chaos as to where is the boundary? Where is the line? Um, why are there uh, systems and things in place that, that do not hold accountability to where is the money going? Why do you have, uh, why are you not taxed on millions of dollars? And why are people making these salaries and others are making minimum wage or no money, but doing all, you know, so much work. And then, um, Ravi, you know, it, it's every type of abuse is involved in that. And, um, the people just, uh, made the excuse of, well, the gospel is being preached. So that means that above all that's good. And Jesus, it, there is a reason that Jesus said like will i find anyone faithful in this generation like um yeah 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 and it um it i think too so i i'm in chicago land area and which is right i'm in the shadow of harvest shadow of willow so we we watched as all that happened with james mcdonald all that happened with bill hybels and i think it exactly what you're saying christina where the success is determined by the numerical impact that you have often the numerical impact of just attendees people who are literally in the building on sunday mm -hmm. somehow that became the driving factor more than how many people are becoming christians you know how many people's lives are being changed it was more like well look at how many people we packed out this auditorium with which is a different conversation mm -hmm. yeah. In, yeah. A, in and of itself but mm -hmm. <laughs> so so these these churches though it's i think it's two pieces because their success is usually driven by a personality that personality is going to need to be protected 
So if if the main guy, and it's usually a guy, goes down, then the whole ministry faces going down. And then on the flip side, something that I've noticed, even on smaller levels, is that because we don't have bivocational pastors, people who are make their living from something else, like Paul in the Bible was a tent maker, but he's also a pastor and a missionary. So because most of the pastors make their livelihood directly from the ministry, the problem can become if if they had any inclination to to confess to something, they know what that means is not only loss of reputation, but in a lot of cases, loss of their mm-hmm. livelihood. And so in some of the churches that I've worked for and churches that I've seen, if something did come out, the church would a lot of times say, we're going to help walk through this with you. We're going to try to restore you. Uh, maybe we'll help pay for your counseling. But usually the employment was was terminated at that point. So mm-hmm. people have incentives on both sides to not share, the to confess the sin, to bring it to light. The organization has the the piece of it where they don't want to share it because it could mess with their numbers, could mess with their impact. And then the people don't want to share it because it can literally remove their source of income. And so yeah. because of that, it gets perpetuated and continued on. And you see all these things like we saw in the Ravi article and about like churches using all these legal forms to protect the institution. So like non-disclosure agreements and binding membership covenants that make it so that you can't share about anything that you are seeing, that you have to handle it internally, which usually means within the church's leadership structure, rather than when it's a crime, going to the police. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in all enables and, you know, that being said, you know, I really wanted to talk about the kind of glorification of personality and charisma over character, over accountability, and how we just, how we got here. You know, I've seen situations where, you know, someone is uh, sharing, you know, that some type of spiritual abuse has happened or something like a psych- even psychological abuse that's taking place within there and they're exposing it. But then you have other people coming in and saying, well, do not touch God's anointed and just all these gaslighting tactics um, to just uh, bypass what's really going on. So I have seen it where it's not only leadership, but it's also members who will also help perpetuate what's going on. And, um, and it's just like, we, me and Christina were talking about earlier how I feel like we need to be able to detect like narcissism better. Like, why do we have this culture where narcissism or narcissistic personalities can can thrive? Um, and what are some of those signs that you guys have seen or witnessed of maybe a personality or a culture that is likely um, either just toxic or festering spiritual abuse or is prime for these things to happen like have you guys had any experiences and what what are those typical characteristics that you would see in a church community or within a leader where these things happen yeah i think um leaders are positioned to basically grow into entitlement and that um they are not hired necessarily because of their theological or uh you know, their broad worldview and theological diverse um, uh, education, but more so uh, their charismatic personality, their ability to draw a room, their ability to um, collect tithe, almost like sales, like they're very good 
at um, getting people to believe what they are saying. And so that I, that I think has been going on for a very long time. I don't think it necessarily started off that way, um, but we see that that if we actually look at the teachings of these leaders, what they're saying is not is not really um, correlating to scripture. Um, and then you look up their their degrees or whatever, and you're like, oh, how is this person literally leading thousands of people in a congregation and then millions online, and no one is is checking their um, what they're saying. And then you find out, oh, there's ghost writer, there's team of ghost writers for sermons. There's, there's all kinds of stuff and no, and people don't talk about this. And, and it's a big problem. <laughs> yeah. The, and it, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I think, um, Christina, the, the tricky thing though, is that it's, I think that, I think I would agree with you if you could point and say, look at all these pastors who are in this theological camp and look at how messed up they are because they have left behind orthodoxy. But a lot of these churches have very orthodox beliefs, preaching very gospel-centered sermons, and you see it kind of across the board. It's not, you know, one denomination or only non-denominational churches. You know, we, we see it across the board. So I think, I think it goes beyond even that. I do think that I would agree with you that I don't think these people, if they're saying these things, I'm not sure that they believe them deep down, right? They wouldn't say, you know, we value all people and and then exhibit behaviors that show that they don't actually value that. Yeah. But uh, so I think a lot of it though is about the fact that we live in America, it's a capitalist society and churches are in this marketplace competing yeah. with each other. And so who wins in business? It's not the humble, patient, you know, Christ-like figure. The people who win in business, it's mm -hmm. the, the strong man who, who's going to push over and demolish any of the competition. And so those leaders, if, you, if you're in a market, who's going to rise to the top? It's like, People don't like Elon Musk. He's doing a ton of things, but he's kind of a jerk. And he says right. all sorts of crazy things, but he's right. running these massive businesses. And it's like, it doesn't even matter his character because right. look at his right. incredible success. And I think the church has succumbed to all those same factors and is producing who's going to be the biggest on the block, the one who's willing to put out of business all these tiny little churches and yeah. absorb them, which a lot yeah. of these churches did. They did, yeah. And and they called it evangelical industrial complex. Yes. Can you break down what that is? <laughs> well, there's what he said, like, yeah, it's a business. It's a money making business. Mm -hmm. So so that is a huge factor in how it's run um and and the exactly what he said yeah. yeah there definitely is a cultural aspect to it that i think that you were talking about anthony and this is something that i learned through cultural psychology is that when it comes to very western and american views it tends to be a more independent view um we actually mm -hmm. i don't know this probably correlates to the evangelical industrial whatever you just said, um, but <laughs> complex. Um, and that's just the Protestant work ethic. That's something that's just been really big running through America. This whole, you know, you pull up your bootstraps, you work hard and you try to find the American dream and, you know, live your best life. And, um, and so that's something that's kind of been interwoven into American 
culture for years um, through business and um, as we can see sometimes through churches. And I, I want to speak to the other side as well. Like there's nothing wrong with being a c good communicator or being charismatic. Um, you know, those can be very beneficial qualities and you, you technically do need to be a decent communicator in order to preach and in order to teach, you know, um, or at least growing through that. But it is the uh, the motives that are behind that. Um, in other countries, uh, in other cultures, they tend to be more interdependent as to where Western and American cultures are more independent. And so they value more seeing themselves as like one with their community. Right. Um, they care a lot more about how their community reflects how they reflect on their community and how their community reflects on them like it's a lot more interwoven with other people than um american kind of ideology in general and so you do see that intertwine with church culture um and you have everything that anthony said that kind of you know be your best pull up by the bulls you know by your bootstraps and um yeah yeah it's kind mm -hmm. of industrial you know, and, and, and that's a lot you get pressure. these, and these characteristics thrive right. in those types of environments. But they, they also have. suffer yeah. because no no human can hold that much responsibility, right. and 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 for all these people, like no one person can do that and not suffer as well. So I think actually both sides or all sides are suffering with this type of system in place because as we've seen, um, there are consequences or tragedies that occur um, and, yeah. it, and it's sad. And, and, and so I think the response that it could be any of us is almost this, it, to me, a cry for help is what I see because that's not normal. <laughs> it's not a normal response after a massive abuse um, case uh, of, of many allegations come out. And, and it's really weird that we've, I've seen that by quite a few leaders, not, not like a one-off response. So. Yeah. What would you guys say if we were just to kind of make a list are some red flags of these types of characteristics or, uh, you know, culture, cultural characteristics, um, yeah, are some red flags that this could be happening and we're overlooking it. Say someone who is in a church and they feel a little off about it or some things are taking place. Like, what would you guys say are some red flags to be like, okay, you need to probably reevaluate what's going on here, take it more seriously. There's uh, something that needs to be maybe done here or accountability that needs to be had here. Um, I would say... Uh, if you feel afraid to say something because um, you're afraid of backlash and that's the reason why you don't say something, there is a huge chance that a lot of other people feel that way. And that's why no one is saying something. So I think uh, fear and anxiety, um, kind of like if you're dating someone and you feel like you're walking on eggshells, if you feel convicted about something, but you, you, you're afraid to say something that is a huge red flag. Yeah, it's so it's so hard because so I've I've worked for a good number of churches and have a lot of friends who work for different churches. So I hear stories all the time. And the problem is that for the people attending churches, it's not always obvious. Yeah. And right. sometimes you have to be further in to start seeing yeah. it. So to give one example where it was obvious, I actually 
uh, and this has been talked about a lot, but um, at Harvest, I randomly visited it, like probably in 2013, and I was sitting in there, and there was immediately, to me, red flags all over the place. There was... During the service, they literally said that the the pastor, whoever it was, comes on stage and says, okay, now we're going to take our offering. And the whole room erupts in applause when they say that. And I'm like, me, I was with my friend and we're looking around like, what? And then the guy goes, God loves a cheerful giver in his microphone. And I'm like, this is crazy. And then, <laughs> and then not only that, we're singing the songs and there's, you know, a group of probably a hundred people up front because really big church, a hundred people up front. And right when it hits the chorus of every song, all 100 of them in unison, put their hands up at the same time, like it was uh, planned, but they're in the room. Yeah. And I'm like, that's super weird. And then we get to the sermon and right before the sermon starts, they say, you know, we have to, we had to do some church discipline on some of our elders. And they played this really slick produced video basically right. saying these elders have failed in this way and now they're excommunicated and if you see them do not contact them like don't go near them basically like publicly shaming these people and there's thousands and thousands of people in the church and and so it's like right there red flags literally everywhere and Huge i walked out flags. being like something is wrong and then you know oh you God. fast forward and there was clearly this whole culture that was unearthed from it but the problem is most of these churches, it's not like that. It can happen in small churches. It can happen in big churches and everything yeah. can kind of look like it's going well on the outside. Right. It's only it's once conforming. you start getting a little yeah. bit deeper in that you start to see these signs. And so I think for people in churches who are just sitting in the pews and, and feel fine, maybe it's fine. But as they start going in, each step of the way, they should be thinking, okay, do I see any flags? Is anything weird? And not be afraid to try to call those things out, to bring those things up. And based on the response, if you bring something up and the response is defense, victim blaming, flipping it around on you, or always defensive, then there's probably a sign that maybe there's deeper issues behind the, right. the curtain. And it reminds me of um, the psychological study I just read this week about conformity mm -hmm. and um, ostracism too. And, and basically with a, a group, who is, is conforming, they don't really know they're conforming. Like you don't know because yeah, you're all thinking to. the same, you're in, you're around the same thing, but just one voice of dissent, like one person uh, in the group saying something different or disagreeing has a huge impact on the group and um, on the response, a positive impact. So if one person in there uh, and people know about it says something, it will cause them to like question the distance mm -hmm. that that perhaps they've been feeling and ignoring or or why is it that I I, I think a lot of people in evangelical church um, deconstructing they're they're that's where they're at they're like oh yeah. wait how far back does did I believe certain things for and not see it. Right, right. And that all goes back to as well, what you were saying, Anthony, about how sometimes it's, it is deeper in. And so then what happens is for 
some people are experiencing the control, the manipulation, the abuse, but not everyone is, or there might be a number of people who are not because they're not as close or they're not as quote unquote threatening. So they treat them, you know, just fine. Uh, but what happens is that I've seen is that when someone does come forward and they're like, okay, this is what's going on with this person. This is what's going on with this personality. Then you have all these, you know, these other people who are like, they would never do that. I've never seen that, you know, like I've never seen them treat me right. like that. Or they've only yeah. treated me nicely and just encouraging people to kind of um, not automatically throw away people and bypass people when they're sharing these experiences. They're sharing them for a reason and likely at the chance of having that, uh, you know, come back at them, uh, you know, and uh, to really hear people's stories if they're seeing these things take place. You know, um, I'm not saying jump to any conclusions necessarily about anything, but uh, just, you know, have your ears open and at least be discerning as to when this is coming up. And especially if more than one person is saying these things are happening. Okay. So that being said, what are some gaslighting things that you've heard or you've seen that are commonly said to bypass when people are bringing up uh, abuse or these harmful things that are coming up. I know for me, I've heard things like, oh, well, this person's in rebellion. Um, kind of like you mentioned, Anthony, with your experience, they, anybody who leaves, anybody who speaks against them, something is wrong with every single person who leaves, right? Um, it's never wrong with them. Um, they excommunicate people and, uh, what else? Oh, it's a spiritual attack. That's a big one. It's like whenever something comes up and warfare. It, it's warfare. The Jezebel it's, spirit. Yeah, it's the enemy coming against us. And it's like, no, right. they're actually people hold, trying to hold you accountable to something that is really harmful that right. you did. Um, so I've heard that like they're in rebellion, you know, they backslid or they're, they're going through spiritual warfare. Um, and what else what else have you guys is there anything else you guys have heard that is kind of gaslighting to these issues because i want to put it on the table because i'm tired of seeing yeah well it. people people will it's silencing techniques so ultimately yeah. abuse is always silences somebody in some yeah. way shape or form so i think anything that serves that purpose like actions speak louder than words we know what love first corinthians says about love but it's so love has action to it and if people are acting in a completely different way than what they are speaking, like for instance, if they're like, don't cause division, but then they're condemning um, another denomination or another, you know, uh, in the Bill Hybels, you know, recently this last week, it came out that John, uh, Pastor John Ort, Ortberg, or, uh, or Ortberg, yeah. That's his name. yes, he was engaging in it, there's allegations of intense abuse, but he was the one that was accusing his friend, Bill Hybels or co, you know, pastor of the very things he was doing. So how does that happen? If that's true? Um, it's, it's just, these are defense mechanisms to protect our uh, moral compass that we are going against. And unless someone else is witnessing and call and like saying something, you're not going to know for yourself. That's why we have friends that like Brittany is, is one of my best friends, but she will say what she's really thinking to me. Yeah. If I were to do something, she would say, I have, I have people like that. We all need people like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, if, if the people, if the pastor does not have people like that, it it's, 
it's right. They only have yes people. They only yeah. have affirming people. They don't have any type of space within that community for there to be discussion, disagreement, uh, you know, or yeah, accountability basically. So they only surround themselves with yes people. Okay. Anything else we're adding to that list? <laughs> the other big one that I've seen, uh, and I've seen this firsthand, is pastors who will really defend themselves by pointing out the manner in which the abuse is being brought up oh, yeah. rather mm. than focusing on what right. the abuse is. And, and I think a parallel to this is uh, a lot of pastors right now, sometimes the same ones who are saying, man, it could be me with Ravi, are getting super, super critical of people who talk about critical race theory. And they're right. saying, and so critical race theory, it's like a tool to determine, hey, are there racist undertones, racist you know, ideologies at play? And so it's just a tool. And so people will say, if you use that tool, which they think is against the gospel, then that, that's a problem. And they're focused more on the method of revealing the abuse than they are on the actual abuse that's being mm -hmm. brought up. And so it's the, the same thing in these churches. You'll see pastors who will quote Matthew 18, which is a, a favorite in these churches where they like mm -hmm. to silence dissent or anything. They say, well, the first step is you have to go directly to your abuser one right. on one. If they don't listen to you, then you got to bring another person and then you bring it to the church. But the, the thing that they don't realize or that they hope you don't realize is if in those instances it's talking about like conflict between two people it's not talking about crime right. at a power dynamic i'll say power dynamics power. Yeah. yes it's 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 right. not describing jesus saying hey if you have uh someone who's several levels above you in an organization is yeah. has committed a crime in secret you the one who have been abused have to go to them alone that's absurd that's ironic because they're the same people talking about the grim rule Yes, yes, yes. Which makes no sense. <laughs> yes, it's all that cluster, yeah, you know? it's all that, yeah. So Matthew 18 is a big one that is used as a weapon because it can silence people because people are like, well, I don't want to go speak to my abuser directly. And in a lot of cases, they don't even follow that rule because in the Bill Hybels instance, it was multiple people who went to him first, tried to bring other people in, and it was it still so shot down. Right. It yeah is. and and it it goes this is why trauma informed uh tools could be extremely helpful for the church um because then they would understand the dynamic of power versus yeah. uh, uh you know someone with less yeah if there are power dynamics involved then yeah it's going to be harder and, and there are systems that are there to support those power dynamics and be in favor of those power dynamics then yeah it's going to be hard to want to speak up against it you know um i was trying to think of other things that i've seen where it's like um you know either that person's like jealous maybe of that that leader or something um i've seen that thrown around um just yeah or they're trying uh, to cause division that's the one right oh they're just um, trying to cause division and it's like no what yeah. you're doing is dividing and uh it's being called out you know i've seen i that. think a huge tactic is with women who are in unhealthy marriages and they go to a pastor saying this is happening to me and it's abuse it's it's and um they're told you know you need to 
have sex more. You need to uh, submit more. You need whatever it is. Be, by example to your unbelieving spouse or whatever. Yeah. By example, and then they'll be saved through you. But do, you do, yeah. uh, divorce, you know, all the, all Don't kinds divorce of unless there's adultery. That is so, um, that is yeah. so hard on. And harmful. It's so harmful. And it's very yeah. difficult for uh, women to, to then leave and they, they, it, it ends terribly, you know, and that's, that's really bad. <laughs> that's, it's a problem. Yeah. And I think it's yeah. the result in a lot of cases, it's the result of someone taking something in the Bible and making it a hard and fast rule for all instances. And the funny thing about it is that Jesus, he comes and he takes all these rules that had mm -hmm. been designed to help people and then were turned into these black and white you always yeah. have to obey them. Like when he says he's going to heal the man on the Sabbath and the person says, well, you can't work on the Sabbath. And he says, is it better to do good or to do evil? And it's like right. clearly, mm -hmm. so like people have taken things like Matthew 18, uh, you know, other passages and have yeah. turned them into these weapons to control people. And it's like that, that's what Jesus was so against was people who had taken rules and had twisted them to gain control over other people. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And, and, <laughs> I'm just going to say this since we're talking about control and how these and how these dynamics and power dynamics come into play, you know, the church, you know, the original church was not in the business of trying to control people, you know, um, and I don't know how it's gotten this far. Well, I kind of do know, you know, once Rome started taking over the church and assimilating uh, combined with their, you know, power and their structure and, um, and then you, you know, spread it to Europe and then you have colonialism come in where now they're going into other countries and doing control and taking power and land over other cultures. Uh, you look back in history and you see this really beautiful gospel, um, you know, in its original form that brought together community of, you know, all backgrounds and was just trying to um, change the lives of one another and just spread it, you know, organically and what have you you know, once these other cultures kind of got a hold of it and assimilated it with their own power structures and cultural structures for control and controlling other people, controlling nations. Now we see in America this, um, this really colonialized Christianity um, and this assimilated Christianity that is very consumed with power and control over other people and other people's choices. And that's something that's very interesting to me. And we really have to think about how that has gotten intertwined into how we practice and view Christianity. Like, are we supposed to be in the business of controlling everyone around us? <laughs> yeah. Or even gaining power, right? Is, is yeah. Christianity fundamentally about getting power through political means, which, you know, large right. of Christians think that's exactly what we're supposed to do yeah, win do. the culture war by gaining political power and I think that's the, the opposite spheres. of Jesus's message yeah that's what they were hoping Jesus was going to come and do and he was yeah, like this was true. not my kingdom <laughs> like, no you they know? wanted, a, they wanted a, like a military leader but he came on a donkey <laughs> there you go and the uh yes. I wasn't the first person to point this out but the fact that Jesus gets crucified next to a political insurrectionist who says yes. I'm gonna take power by force and the crowd pardons Barabbas is his name and crucifies Jesus and so right there you see you got one who's 
bent on violence taking over through power. And then you have this upside down power of Jesus. That's all humility based and suffering based and love based. And um, I, I read this thing recently that was like, if you actually look at the apostles in the new Testament, they lived very difficult lives. They suffered a lot. They were persecuted a lot. They were killed in, in tragic ways. Compare that to people who call themselves apostles in the U S in churches <laughs> and the lives that they live. Like what is going on there? <laughs> you, like Christina, did you recently like, get, did you recently get blocked by one of those apostles? Yeah. Oh yeah. And I get blocked. I get comments of like all the time, all the time. but I, I now use it like Dave Ramsey blocked me and I used it and people were like, Oh my God, I got blocked too. I got blocked too. And I'm, I'm like, like, what did you do? He blocks every single person that says something. That's a red flag. Like, oh. I, you know, but we, but he was so worshiped as the financial guru, which he I'm sure has helped many people, but I just felt that <laughs> he's a jerk and like people you, and then stories come out about him and everyone's like, he helped me get out of debt. Okay. But, he, but what about the character? Like, uh, we have to discuss this. So the only way I know how it, without offending the whole world is to make a joke. And then people are like, that's, that's funny. Like, like Dave Ramsey selling his $15 million home it, it, on, there was this really funny, fake Zillow site. And they're like, but he doesn't allow anyone in. There's no photos of inside the house that they're going to post. And you have to sign an NDA. I don't know if that's true. I'm just saying, this is, don't sue me. I know you got good lawyers. Like what? So weird. That is Christina. If you guys have not met her before on the podcast, (laughs) there you go. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think this just all goes back to just bringing it back to, you know, um, again, how these types of cultures and characteristics are cultivated in our church today. Kind of where did things break off? I always like trace it back to Rome. I, I don't know when I became a historian. I'm like, it's when Rome got a hold of Christianity. I'm like, it's it became about power and control and, you know, politics. And, you know, for me as a believer, yeah. I just, you know, I have no desire to control people's decisions or controls people's choices. Um, you know, I am, I'm all about like relationship led it being a very personal relationship, relational kind of faith. Um, yeah, I'm just not in the business of trying to control people, but I am in the business of, you know, wanting to talk about it when other people are trying to control others and creating harm. Um, I just, yeah, I just don't think that was ever the goal of the gospel. And so it's interesting to see how it thrives kind of now these characteristics. That's why God church is so great. And I think there, Anthony's there, church. <laughs> yeah, Anthony's church. Thanks, bud. There's a, di- there's a dynamic of, for instance, the 12 step. If you go to a 12 step meeting, 12 step is used all over the world. It is huge, right? It is spread. It, there is no leader. There is no, right? Like ha- so what if the church adopted more of that mentality? Like you're still spreading the gospel. It's just, everyone has an account. You're, you're sponsored and you sponsor someone, you know? Uh, And there's something uh, I think that we can learn from that. 
Um, yeah. And I want to throw this out there because I can already hear people saying it. Um, there's nothing with wrong, wrong with being paid as a pastor. <laughs> um, you know, if a pastor is working, pastoring is a lot of work, um, you know, and, and I do believe, you know, pastors should be paid, you know, in, in some way. And there's and there's also nothing wrong with, you know, living a comfortable life. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, there's nothing wrong with uh yeah, creating a means for you to have a living for you and your family. Like, I just want to put that out there. We are not anti, like, we're not like you have to struggle. Like, if you're a pastor, if you're a Christian, and if you're not, it's questionable. Like, that's not what is being said here. So I just wanted to make that very, very clear. Um, and um, on the heels of all of this, I want to touch on this really briefly. So thoughts on cancel culture. This seems to be a hot topic in the church now. And I really just want to talk about what the balance is with that, you know, as we're talking about different leaders where, you know, abuse is coming out or harmful things that they're saying are coming out. And now we live in a generation where people just aren't having it. Like you can't just say anything. Like you can't just say gaslighting things or abusive things or harmful things <laughs> and not get called out um, for the harm that what you're doing or saying could be caused. Um, however, there is this other side of it where it's like, well, we don't want to totally cancel people, right? Like we also want to have that grace where we allow people room to grow. And, you know, um, if it's a mistake, like people make mistakes or at least they're learning now, they're getting to know better, they're trying to do better, right? We have to leave room for people to grow. We have to also have grace in that. And I think that's where the more biblical perspective comes in. So I would love to know you guys' thoughts on cancel culture, how we approach that, you know, as a church, where the balance is, where the line is, um, because on the flip side, some people are like, don't like it because it's creating accountability and that potentially means accountability for them too. Mm -hmm. um, so thoughts, thoughts on cancel culture. Well, I think it's ironic that, that, the, that we have this discussion of cancel culture in the church when the church, for instance, if you are deconstructing, you're now on the other side. And so perhaps, um, there's some type of reconciliation that can be done with, with um, no one deserves to be canceled. Everybody deserves redemption because of Jesus. Jesus is, is that reason. It's not us. It's not what I have done. It's what Jesus has done. And if you put that in the perspective, then accountability is just normal and sin is going to happen. And there are uh, things in place that, are, are then hold people accountable and bring things to light. And that's, that it's important that, um, you know, a light is, sh is shine on stuff so that it can come out so that people can become better people and better leaders. Um, cancel. Yeah. Just to say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, um, to the interesting thing about cancel culture is if you go back, you know, a couple decades, people would describe, American Christianity is very, or just American culture is very postmodern. They would say, yeah, like our parents' generation was very modern. It was like, there's absolute truth. There's right and wrong. There's morality. Yeah. Then it pivoted and it's postmodern. They say, and now it's your truth is your truth. And my truth is my truth. And Hey, is you do you all that stuff. And right. then it seems like in the last five to 10 years, we've kind of 
gone to this weird hybrid where there's a very strong morality in the world and it a sense of we need justice and so that can play itself out in these canceling acts right this person did something objectively wrong even if they're not a religious person there is a clear moral standard that so-and-so violated and thus this judgment should be that they get canceled so it's interesting to see that that has pivoted back but i think uh I think this is where the message of grace is actually such an incredible message of Christianity, because yeah. with Jesus, with the rest of the world, if you're canceled, you're you're done. You're you know, canceled. There goes your job. Like yeah, uh, yeah, you're really if you do something wrong, your job's gone, your identity's wrong. A lot of times, your history is removed. So like we don't even play the movies that you were in, or or we mm-hmm. we've scrubbed the record of you as a person. And so if Christianity can't give a version where there's restoration that's possible, then we've succumbed just to another problem, right? If we say in the act of trying to correct all these horrible abuses that have been in the church, if our result is to say, okay, well, we just need to start canceling all these people the same way that the world is canceling and having no opportunity for restoration or grace, yeah. then I don't think we're offering anything different or better than the culture is offering. Because a lot of these people, right, regular people have said and done a lot of terrible things in the past, maybe some mm-hmm. more recent than that. And so I think a lot of people live in fear of like, man, what if I eventually get canceled? And they very well may be canceled, but the idea of the church as an open, welcome, loving community that holds people accountable, but then also restores them and and helps bring reconciliation. Like a good friend of mine, he had a a whole string of secret sin that came to life and uh, came to light. And basically the church removed him from the leadership position Mm -hmm. and they paid for him to get therapy and counseling because they wanted to restore him. And he came out on the other side of it, you know, restored in all these uh, great ways. And he's, he's been, you know, he completely has learned from that behavior. So I think we have to be able to offer a path towards redemption or else we're departing from the Jesus of the Bible, at least. I'm definitely pro rehabilitation. I mean, obviously it has to take a willing party. (laughs) Like that person has to want that and has to actually see that there's something wrong first, for sure. But like, I totally agree. Like I was just looking at like some old tweets or posts from Pinterest a long time ago. And it's like, ooh, (laughs) you know, Um, there are things that I've done or posted in the past that like I don't agree with now or approaches that I've post in the past it's like I would not approach that that way now and it's like I would have probably canceled myself looking at some things in the past you know but Mm -hmm. thank God for grace like thank God for the grace and the space to growth and I for growth and I always even thank my online community now my listeners and I tell people like look I'm going to continue growing over the years I might be saying something today that in 10 years I'm going to have known better you know you don't know what you don't know um, and you know, you try not to be harmful, right? Obviously in the mix, but, um, we are, we have to have space to grow. We have to have space to rehabilitate, to reconcile. Um, yeah, I totally agree with you, Anthony. And, but at the same time, yeah, it would have to take a willing party, um, to, to do that. And also yeah. I want to make one, one other clarifying statement about that too. I don't yeah. think, uh, and I'm not the first person to say this, but rehabilitation and restoration does not have to mean 
restoration of someone's platform. It doesn't, right. Right? it doesn't have to be that, hey, the point of the church is to restore this person to their status of celebrity, right? Well, like right. I think a lot that, of the people- That's part of the problem. That's yeah. what causes, you know, the character default in there. Uh, the blind, you know, the enabling. Any if you like going back to the twelfth step, like there, you have to follow. You have to follow the twelve steps in order to be in the program and to be considered like a successful participant in it. It's super important to act, be actively participating in the steps for your whole life. It, you and so if we take that and in the concept of restoration, you are continuously being saved. So like you're gonna continuously need uh, to be restored, right? So I think an element of like, we're not, we're not good now and then, and then we just are bad and then we're good. It's like, this is a lifelong journey and, and perhaps just to perhaps that little fear of being canceled maybe is something <laughs> actually good because we check ourselves. I don't know. I'm just yeah, just not ex- like, like not in, a, in an extreme way, but yeah, really. But if God, like a reverence for God, like yeah. like there we we need that too. Yeah, and it's like you know, it's kind of like boundaries. You know, when you yeah. first are learning to have boundaries because you haven't had them for so long. Um, a lot of times what happens with people is when they first start understanding boundaries and learning boundaries, they kind of go to like the extreme, <laughs> you know, of just like not tolerating anything, you know, because they've tolerated so much for so long. So now they have super defenses up. But then as time goes on, you kind of learn how to, you know, how to more gracefully deal with things, how to more gently deal with things. But I do think right now we are in that period where maybe things have accumulated for so long that now we're in this like hyper extreme of like, nope, 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 no tolerance for this, 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 or that, which I understand. I think that feeling is very valid, but I do believe for those of us who, um, who follow Christ and the heart of God and, you know, got the gospel centered message, then we also have a heart to see people restored and not just canceled, um, and rehabilitated, uh, because we love and have hope for all people, mm-hmm. you know, and that's our balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That being said, I know we've said a lot of things about the church that we have that we take issue with, but let me be clear. Like we are not here to bash the church. Um, Anthony's a pastor. Okay. <laughs> Clearly like he has a heart for the church. I feel like I say way more on my Instagram. <laughs> we have a heart. It really comes down to saying these things because we have a heart for people. We don't want to see people hurt. We don't want to see yeah. people harmed by, you know, a message that is really supposed to really help and build people up and help people show up for their lives and their calling. Um, so how can we do better? Like, what do you guys think are, I know we're not going to fix this whole thing with this one conversation <laughs> overnight, but what are some things or things we can have in place? Do you guys think for, uh, for us to do better for us to hold leaders accountable for this, not to happen as much, not even just leaders, but, uh, even members, one another, like, how can we, slow down or stop or reverse all this growth of spiritual sexual abuse that's come up and been enabled over the years i think validation i think it's really important to validate people's experience 
um, self and others. So like if you validate your own experience, you'll, you'll need less external validation. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it was really important for me in my own life to learn about trauma and recovery. And that was done with, through a therapist. So, uh, if you do need somebody to talk to, um, it's good and healthy to, uh, talk to somebody, you know, therapist, Christian or not, whatever you're comfortable with, but talk to someone that can be that safe space for you. Um, and if, if more people did that, perhaps we would have, uh, be able to be more open about conversations like this. Yeah. Talking about it, talking about trauma, even just saying the word trauma, realizing that what you experienced was a trauma. Everything that you're saying is really going back to giving language. Um, when we have language for what's happening, then we can actually uh, peel the layers back on like what's happening, what we can do to help. But if we don't have language for it, it's all muddled. It's like we experienced something, we felt something, we saw something was off, but we didn't know what it was. We didn't know what to call, what to call it. Um, we didn't know how to identify it because we didn't have the language or the framework to do so. And so I totally agree. So continuing to talk about it, whether it's in a safe space with your therapist or even in a safe community so that we as a church can continue to develop language around these things, around sexual abuse, around spiritual abuse, um, and having these continued conversations so that when it happens, we can call it out for what it is and we can identify it so we can go through the steps of what we need to do to help others heal and restore for sure. I think so too. Yeah. And another thing is just ruthlessly fight against the celebrity culture of it's all <laughs> built on one person. Everything rests on the talent of, of one person. And I talk mm. a lot with my, my older sister about this, that so many churches are just driven by like the desire to be cool. Everyone on stage, who they put on the platform, good looking, whatever it is. <laughs> it just it's always good looking. Like, Why yeah. is everyone hot? Like, hot <laughs> yeah. Like, and so, uh, weird. Christina, you're hot. I think you're <laughs> <laughs> Christina is losing it. Uh, so the, the, yeah. So fighting against that, I think a big yeah, part of that yeah. is sharing, sharing the pulpit, right? Sharing the platform. If you're the pastor and you speak every single week <laughs> on every single topic, even if you are not an expert on that topic, like that takes a certain level to say, Hey, you know, I'm, so for example, if I give a message on, you know, I don't know, married life, I've been married for five years. And if there's people in the congregation who are 50 or 60, they've been married for longer <laughs> than I've been alive. It's like, who, what, what are you saying? So I, I think having it not just be, hey, this pastor, because he's a pastor, he's the expert on everything. That's just not yeah. true. So, so saying, hey, Let's look to people who are more wise in this area to help guide that. Mm -hmm. Or these people over here, they're probably the people we should listen to. It's not just always one person, one platform. And then just having regular people speak, having people be sharing and, and giving messages that are not A plus, incredible, you know, top tier messages, but real people sharing real experiences or sharing yeah. about the Bible and don't have this high cutoff because we we see that in the Bible. We see that this hierarchy of, you know, so many levels. You're the you're the intern, then you're the associate pastor, then you're a campus pastor, then you're the senior pastor, you know, executive. It's like this whole hierarchy came about <laughs> way later. And at the right. beginning, yeah, there were some Very people corporate. who were leading it. 
Yeah, very corporate. Sure. But yeah. early church, and you don't want to always just say the early church was better. Let's go back to the early church because there was crazy problems in the early church. There too. Were, yes, this is true. But the early church, it was much more egalitarian. It was much more, hey, we look to the wiser, older people to guide us, but we're all kind of in this together. And it's not just built on a personality. And Paul calls it out in First Corinthians. He says, hey, there's a group of you who says, I follow Apollos or I follow Paul. And he's like, I follow Jesus. <laughs> like, right. So if we lose sight of that, that's where problems start. It's almost so I think like it shouldn't be like rocket science. Well, yeah. that's also but cultural it is, too. It is right. For other cultures, and you're thinking biblical culture at that time, you know, it, it was not American, you know. Yep. Um, for a lot of cultures, even to this day, they look to their elders. They look to, you know, yeah. um, those who are wiser in other areas uh, to, um, yeah, to inform the rest of the community. Um, it's, it's very kind of American yeah. to just focus on one person, one platform. Platform, but I like that, like share the platform. I always, I tell people all the time, I'm like, I'm not a pastor, but I'm like, I'm not the only one talking about faith and mental health. (laughs) You know, I'm like, there are tons of other people. And then I bring them onto the, you know, the podcast. Um, And and, in, like you mentioned with Paul, there is kind of this, there is this natural thing that happens when when you are the person who's mostly speaking or you're kind of leading it that people are the same vibe. Yeah, the, the people do tend to gravitate to you whether you pastors. want them. Yeah, um, where people will gravitate to you whether you want them to or not. It just kind of, it does just kind of happen. Um, but continuing to do it with humility, you know, um, and inviting other people. And yeah, especially knowing our limits on certain topics for sure. Um, calling it out, creating a pal- I like what you said, Christina, earlier about Sometimes it just takes one person. I know nobody wants to be that one person to be like, something's up in here. Once you cross <laughs> over, scary. Though, I'm telling you, so it's so, so much more free because you you don't. Now that's all Christina approval. does. So I, I, uh, always, now she's I'll, always that I'll person. I'll go back to the balance, but yeah, I definitely. <laughs> but um, I I live in LA and um, Brittany and I live in LA and. I remember the first time I started to notice that the big churches here and in Orange County at their conferences had the same five pastors and they just recycled them at their different um, conferences at their home church. And I was like, why would I pay $300 to see the same lineup over and over again? But, but you do like that's because that's the big conference of the season, you know, I was like, conference culture is, it's got to change. Um, and that was the first time I started to talk a little bit more about that, but just to go off of um, what Anthony said, like, it's so important to have a diverse group of voices, to listen to a diverse group, to listen to different um, denominations, to listen to people you disagree with, because it's, it expands your mind and it, it helps you see things from maybe someone else's perspective. But Christina, yeah. empathy, the, empathy, which is a crazy concept. But Christina, only those who walk the straight and narrow are going uh, to yeah. be, you're talking about expanding and going wider and opening our minds, but the path is narrow. I'm being dumb as an advocate. I know. <laughs> you already know like the sides of these conversations. Yeah. No, but yeah, yeah it's still sure. important. I mean, if you think you're the only smartest person in the room, there's probably a problem. You're, you're probably, probably missing something. You're probably blind. You're probably spot. Jezebel. <laughs> or at least you have a Jezebel spirit. You have a Jezebel spirit. You have a narcissist spirit. 
what did we say before? Narcissism is the new Jezebel. <laughs> oh man. There's a okay. tweet in there somewhere. Are you going to cut tweet. this out? No. So, <laughs> so, okay. In conclusion, you know, um, we were talking about, okay, yeah, there are some issues, but at the same time, there are some things we're bringing these up because we want to see solutions. We want to see healing. And we also want to be affirming to people who have seen these things and are feeling hurt or disappointed. Um, and just to let them know that they're not alone in what they're seeing in the culture and, uh, that there are still people who still have a heart for the church and, still have a heart for Christ, but also want to see uh, accountability um, and healing in the church. And that being said, I just wanted to kind of go around and share, like, why do we still have faith and what helps us heal forward in spite of everything that we're seeing? I mean, some days it can be questionable, but, <laughs> but uh -huh. it's just it's like, ugh. again, uh, this is popular. I think after, like, I went through a really hard time. My, my mom died of brain cancer, but she died because she didn't do chemo and radiation because she believed that she'd be healed. And at that point, I think the brain tumor had impacted her uh, mental cognition. But um, after that, I really had, I really wrestled. And I think I went through like a dark period, but in that period of questioning, I actually found Jesus like more real to me than any other time. And, and because of that, it really doesn't matter what the church does. Like I will always mm -hmm. have my faith in Jesus and nobody can take that from me. Nobody yeah. can define it for me. It's mine. It belongs to me. So, um, I forget what the question was, but yeah, what uh, that, you know, I'm not depend. I'm not so dependent on what, uh, the church is saying, um, and so because of that, I believe in redemption and I believe that, um, more voices will come out that change. This is good. It's a good thing that people are questioning this stuff so that new, new, um, uh, good things can grow in those spaces as well. Totally hear you. Yeah, I would, I would as say a pastor, I want to hear cause you are, you're, you're <laughs> yeah, growing in the midst of all of this and, and obviously you have a heart. So I'm so interested in, yeah, where your head is or heart is on this. Yeah, I I still wholeheartedly believe that the way of Jesus is the clearest path towards life transformation. That I think compared with every other way of life, compared with every other mindset, worldview, whatever you want to call it out there, I think that the the message of Jesus is unique and I've seen it change people's lives completely radically and people have completely turned the corner. And I believe that that's possible for, for many, many people. And so even though the church can get co-opted by all sorts of different groups and Jesus can get twisted and made to say things that he would have never believed, I do believe that it's worth putting in the work, putting in the effort to try to get that clear gospel message out there. Because I think when we tear away all the things that we're seeing that are surfacing that are not of Jesus, and we can get it to a more pure version of the gospel, mm -hmm. I think that's where actual life change happens. And so that's what motivates me. That's why I keep doing it in spite of everything. There's been times in my life where I say, man, maybe I shouldn't even be in ministry because I'm so frustrated about X, Y, or Z. But right, I feel like God, yeah, God keeps calling me back in. Hey, don't give up. Maybe it'll look different than you thought it was going to look, but I'm still working 
And I also, one, one other tiny side note, I get so amped when I see that God is working strongly in other countries and other places. Like the, yeah. the fastest growing church right now is in Iran, Iran and it's heavily, heavily persecuted. It's underground and it's spreading like wildfire and kind of like how you said the 12 steps is not a centralized. There's no, it's like that. Like the church in Iran is, there's no centralized hierarchy. It's very egalitarian. It's everyone going out and, and loving their neighbors and people are yeah. coming to faith often at threat of death. And so for me, I'm like, God is clearly moving in the world. He's clearly at work. Jesus is, is still alive and active. We're seeing some maybe, uh, uh, dis I could say maybe disciplining of God in America, the church mm -hmm, in America, mm -hmm. because of ways that we've perverted it. That's and so I'm, I want to be there where the reform is happening. And so that's, that's what keeps me going. It's a good way to put it. There's a reform that's happening. I we were just talking about that, Christina, but that's the word that we needed. It was reform. That's yeah, true. there's a, <laughs> there's a reform that's happening. And I love how we're all sharing. There's this personal, very real lived experience that, uh, that has happened for us. I know for me, I was sharing this with Christina the other day. I, I always think about Matthew 13 and the parable that Jesus gave about how, you know, there was a farmer and he planted like, you know, healthy soil, he planted healthy seeds, but then, you know, this enemy came in and planted weeds and, you know, the farmer's like, what do I do? And basically it's God saying, let it grow together. Like he's going to let the good and the bad grow together. And in the end, he's going to sort it out. That's kind of the whole premise of Matthew 13. And so it, for me, it just puts into perspective, like, you know, God is God is going to let these things happen, right? We uh, out of free will, and I know everybody has different doctrines about free will, but you hear me, right? People can make their own choices, right? God allows people to make their own choices. And um, it's going to happen. The good and the bad are going to grow together. So I just try to stay focused on where I feel called um, and try not to get too consumed with the bad so much that I lose focus of um, the way I know that uh, I feel called to help people and the way other people have helped me. And I think also for me, I've had a really great frame of reference. My home church was just a very healthy, um, vibrant diverse from leadership down church. Um, that was just a really, really healthy experience for me where I was baptized and I found community and had a very healthy experience uh, of growth in my life. It's actually part of what even showed me that I had any type of leadership skills uh, and just character that I didn't know I had within me, skills I didn't know I had for me all came from serving in the church and growing with others. So I had this really healthy frame of reference kind of before I ran into all these other unhealthy and toxic things um, in other churches that I'd experienced. So for me, I kind of always knew like, well, it's, it's, there are healthy churches out there. Like it's very possible to have a really good church experience. Sometimes it's just about finding the right one and the one that fits for you. Um, but like you said, Christina, I, I've, I've been through good experiences and bad experiences, but at the end of the day, I have my own personal faith that is not dependent on other people. And I, that just, it's so freeing. It's so sustaining. It's so sustainable um, to just say, you know, well, God has called me to love him and love others and to show that as best as I can, uh, to live through that as best as I can. And the rest of it, I can't control. You know, I can try to help and, you know, hold accountable and call out and check myself as well. But 
Yeah. I just, I, again, like I said before, I am not in the business of trying to control the world or trying to control people. You know, I just want to contribute where I can. So that's been freeing for me. Yeah. Yeah. To validate both of your, what you said. So my dad's a scientist. Actually, my parents are Iranian. Well, my mom before she passed. Well, yeah. And anyway, so my dad is um, not a Christian, but he's a scientist and we were on a hike and randomly he was like, did you know that everything in, in nature has a purpose, a reason that, that, uh, it's alive. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, okay, dad, yeah, dad. He's like, what is this life? And he's like, but did you know that new things will grow in the places of devastation specifically to bring restoration? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this feels, this feels like a God, a God thing, but you're not Christian. So can it be? No, but, uh, <laughs> I was like, that is so powerful. Yeah. And that I feel like is what God is doing is like all these new, um, beautiful things are growing in those places and, and we get to witness that or be a part of it. That is a great note to leave this on. So thank you guys so much for those who are tuning in and want to follow more of the work that you're doing. Where can they best stay connected with you? Oh, uh, Instagram or Twitter or at the DTR blog you can find me yeah our our main probably avenue is uh instagram as well it's at dot church online but you guys did start a twitter i'm gonna just throw it out <laughs> oh yeah, did. did they did. did they followed we don't have any dot church we don't have any posts or anything but one day something <laughs> we're gonna tweet something i don't know what Heart we'll figure it out there. and we'll be like Heart anthony you're, you're a celebrity pastor no i'm kidding it's great it's great, <laughs> great. <laughs> Thanks guys so much for this conversation. Um, I just love both of you guys' transparency, Um, you know, and we're just going to put our heart out there for others to receive it. Those who are listening, let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this conversation. You may or may not agree with every single point that was made here, and that's okay. Um, That's the whole point, right, is that we're creating a culture uh, where we can openly talk about these things, love each other, have accountability, have restoration. Um, and we want all of you to be a part of that too. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in until next time. Thanks so much.